Hello, I'm John Ellis, and welcome to episode 56 of Pitodri PS, the predominantly Dons baseball cast featuring not just the Dons first team, but a look across the age groups and genders at the club. And we focus on the respective progress of Cove and Peterhead too, as well as the Northeast local representatives in the Highland League and juniors, and not just football, but any sport making headlines in the northeast of Scotland or featuring someone from the northeast of Scotland. Joining me for this journey, as always, Dave McDermott and Andrew Shiny. So here we are, recording this episode on the morning of Tuesday, November 8th, 2022. Reviewing our match against Hibs and looking ahead to an away match midweek versus Livingston and a home game against Dundee United on Saturday evening. Plus all the action from the under-18s and women's teams and we're across the country and down the leagues for a look at the rest of the northeast too. But first, to the game most recent in our minds from Friday evening at Pitodri. The Dons looking to bounce back after a 4-1 thumping at Ibrox and Jim Goodwin watching on from the stands, serving out his XL there for a statement made in the wake of the last time the two teams clashed at Easter Road. On that occasion, it was a 3-1 win for the home side. Liam Scales shown the red card just ahead of half-time. Martin Boyle equalising from the resulting penalty. Hibbs going on to score a second and third against the Dons' 10 men in the second half. So a little bit of additional bile, perhaps, as the two teams clash for Friday night football. Well, as you'll know by now, this one ended 4-1 for the Dons, and thanks to VAR, only just inside the parameters of Friday night football. Uh, we almost had Saturday morning football. Bit of a bizarre one, uh, this in retrospect. Your post-match thoughts, Andrew? First of all, I have to say, what a weekend of Premiership action that was, wasn't it? Amazing. Every team in the, the league scored with three 3-2 three, victories, a 2-1 win for St Johnston against Rangers, Celtic coming back from dropping a, an, e- an equaliser in the 89th minute to score two late goals to beat Dundee United 4-2. And the biggest margin of victory, Aberdeen's 4-1 against Hibs. Now, if you'd turned to me after 40 minutes and said, it's going to be 4-1, <laughs> I think my dad actually said, we're we still at nothing each in this game. Um, and then, of course, the, the penalty incident ensued. And it took about eight minutes for that all to get sorted out with all the checks. We were watching the VAR screen and it was telling us that they were checking for offside. Okay, it wasn't offside. That shouldn't have taken long, to be perfectly honest. There was no need to draw lines there. You could see that Ryan Portis's foot was inside the Hibs penalty box and no Aberdeen players were inside the box. That shouldn't have taken long. Yes, the foul, deciding whether it was a foul, was going to take a bit of time. But I just felt that it took an awful long time for the decision to be reached that it was a penalty to Aberdeen. Then, of course, Davy Marshall saves the penalty and nobody really complained at all. But obviously, VAR checked for encroachment into the box or the goalkeeper moving off his line. And it was clear cut. Both feet were about a foot off the line, so there was, could be no argument at all about that. The the penalty kick is retaken. Boyan Miofsky scores, registers Aberdeen's 500th goal in the Premiership in the, in the, into the bargain. And then they, I didn't really notice the what caused the rammy, but it was David Marshall kicking the ball against Miofsky. Pure accident, and to my way of thinking, um, I think Marshall was just a bit hacked off at the fact that at the second time of asking, he'd been beaten from the penalty spot, having gone the right way, um, it has to be said, and he didn't see Majowski getting into his line of sight where when he blew up the ball, aiming it towards the stand, I'm sure. Um, but uh, eventually, I think we've worked out, it was 45 plus, plus eight, eight minutes. Yeah. 
when Boyan scored yeah. the opening goal, then eight minutes into official time in the second <laughs> half, yeah. he scored the second goal. So he scored in the 53rd minute of the first half and in the 53rd minute of the match. Um, but the second goal, to me, was the real killer um, because it did, you know, Hibs, let's be honest, had played some very good football. Kellerus had made a couple of decent saves, um, but Hibs didn't really have a great attacking edge to their game. They looked decent going forward, but no end product, which has been the story of a lot of Hibs' season with no Martin Boyle on the side. And when the Aberdeen got the second goal, you just felt, you know, we should win this game. They quickly got the third through Ilba Ramadani. And they, then, of course, VAR raises its ugly head once again when everybody in the ground thought that uh, Kurevich was offside when he knocked the ball in, including the player himself. You could see <laughs> from his reaction, he grabbed the ball and thought, ah, I'm offside. No celebration. And then they looked at it. It was onside. And you turned to me and you said, you know what? I think we need a fourth one here. <laughs> and that subliminal <laughs> message was passed on to the boys out in the park because we went straight up the park and scored a fourth. The cheekiest of cheeky goals from Leighton Clarkson, having gone round David Marshall, he kind of overran the ball, but he had the, the confidence and the faith in his own ability just to backheel that. And then it wasn't one of those backheels that trundles in. It flashed into the back of the net. So in the end of the day, a very good win for Aberdeen. Definitely flattering was the scoreline, but there were a lot of good things to like about the game. Yeah, one of those games they've were, and we've been this team on many an occasion. Hibs had the bulk of the ball for the first half, and yet they didn't really create anything meaningful. They were in at the break on the wrong side of a 1 0, wondering how on earth are we behind. But that was the story of the night, really. The Don's just more clinical. Yeah, I mean, if it had been the other way around, we'd have been wondering how on earth we weren't yeah. in front in that first yeah. half. Clinical is a good word. I mean, Andrew talked about Leighton Clarkson's goal. I thought it's brilliant. He doesn't score ordinary goals and tap-ins, does he? He's, uh, they're all very much worth watching time and time again. Mm. Funnily enough, I know we'll come on to the Cove game later, but there was 15 minutes in between the kickoffs at 7.30, <laughs> and I was watching one, one on my iPad and the other game on the TV. And as the game went on, Cove were catching up on Aberdeen in terms of the time played because there's no VAR. But uh, yeah. it's early days, obviously, and it's but it's something that's going to have to be looked at cutting down, and I'm sure that will happen. You know, everybody's yeah. just trying to get used to it. But uh, you know, VAR played in our favour in that because I think that was that was such a uh, a blow for Hibs that first goal, and you know where it was right in the stroke of half time. I mean, you could see their their shoulders slumping. After that, and uh, no more clinical is a good way of putting it because it certainly wasn't a four-one scoreline on the balance of play. Nothing like it. We, we have to bring VAR into it, Andrew, because for around forty or so minutes, as you say, in fact, nearly that entire first half, we, we played VARless, and then all of a sudden, Duke burst through, and the Varavan in Glasgow uh, sprung into life for a good eight minutes. Pretty farcical, really, when you think about it. But I suppose the main thing is to try and eradicate mistakes, and the, the time frame it takes to do that is is secondary at the moment. It is. I mean, Jim Goodwin said after the game, he says, look, I'm not too bothered about how long it takes them to get to a decision as long as they get to the right decision. That's probably easier to say when you've been the beneficiary of that right mm. decision. Lee Johnson, on the other hand, wasn't quite so complimentary. He felt that it took so long that it clearly wasn't a clearly a clear and obvious error on the 
part of David Monroe, but it's very subjective, the, the decision for a penalty. We saw a couple of other ones at the weekend that were the Motherwell one that led to Hearts win up pretty straightforward. The Celtic one, well, that produced all sorts of furore amongst the pundits. Uh, Michael Stewart in particular, surprise, surprise, <laughs> going, going absolutely ballistic at the fact that referees don't understand the law nor do they understand the biomechanics of football players. But I have to say that the Celtic one, to me, looked extremely harsh. Although, according to Chris Boyd, now guess what colour of specs he looks through, um, mm. he said the header was directly at goal and it stopped Joe Hart having to make a save. <laughs> header was nowhere close to goal. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's, I think the, the handball law is, is the one that is going to cause most problems and cause the most angst, not just amongst players and fans, but amongst referees as well. It does seem that some are given, some aren't given for what appeared to be exactly the same incident. But uh, I thought over the piece, VAR worked reasonably well at Batodria. I, I agree with what everybody said, that the time taken to make the decisions seemed to stretch and stretch and stretch. But that's possibly because that's the first time that we've been involved with it at Petaudry. But um, no, it was uh, historical, as Alan McKimmy from the Heritage Trust told me after the game. He says, that's the first time we've ever had a, a remote referee <laughs> give us anything. Um, and as I say, we notched our 500th Premiership goal. Ilbar Ramadani got his first goal for the club to become the first Albanian ever to score um, for Aberdeen. <laughs> the 13th nationality, for those who are interested. <laughs> send probably doesn't number, Jeremy. <laughs> just, just send me the postcard, whoever it is that's out there that's interested in that. But uh, no, uh, um, it, was, it was a good night. Uh, it will be interesting to see over the coming weeks and months if things speed up a little bit. But uh, I think so far it's it's generally worked well, but it hasn't reduced the number of arguments about mm. decisions after the games. But I think most the, the refs have, should be reasonably happy with the way it's gone so far. Mm. It's a funny thing to say this, Dave, going back to the game, but on the back of a 4-1 win against the team immediately above us going into the game, I actually thought we weren't really anywhere near our best. And in fact, I mean, almost had a bit of a misfire night. I mean, the goals were good. But in between that, I didn't think a lot of our play was as good as it has been. So bring on the games when we really click, eh? I totally agree. Um, it was uh, with increasing trepidation I watched as that first half went on because, as I've said earlier, I couldn't understand why Hibs were uh, still not ahead. Mm. And then for us to get the goal, but no, we didn't We didn't play anything like as well as we can, which augurs well for the future. But we, we now need to start doing it, not just to Pataudry and get the results, however... They come, but also away from home as well, because obviously tonight, first and foremost, because we've just got to click on the road because our away form is just not good enough at the moment. But yeah, we can play a lot better than we did on Friday. Yeah, we'll come on to that one in in, uh, in just a sec. It's, it's kind of the, the same uh, problem that Cove are having right now. I thought by his own high standards, Hayden Coulson had a fairly quiet game, Andrew, but conversely, Con Connor Barron, he's really starting to find his feet again, isn't he? Yeah, I think uh, Hayden was sort of caught betwixt and between in the first half. He was he got caught out a few times by balls played over the top. That um, Chris Carden, who I must admit I didn't realise Chris Carden was as quick, but from the seat where I was sitting, immediately yeah, behind agreed. the dugout, he is 
pretty rapid. And he caused Aberdeen a few problems in the first half. But as I say, there was no end product to, to Hibbs' good play, apart from the one time that Ewan Henderson got in and got a header and the Kellerus made a good save. Then second half, I think he, he had a, a good save from a shot that was driven through a ruck of bodies. But what I liked about um, Kellerus in particular was the fact that he came for a lot of crosses. Hibbs did throw a lot of balls into the box. And for the first time, really, you thought Keller looks a little bit like Joe here mm. because Big Joe, we've seen for many years, just comes and clutches crosses like he's picking apples off a tree. Um, but it, it was nice to see that Keller was doing that because that takes a bit of the heat off the, the defenders. But but to get back to Coulson, he had his moments going forward, but maybe not as many as uh, the manager would have liked. He was substituted later on and Jack McKenzie came on and made a couple of decent challenges and made sure that we saw ourselves through to the victory at the end of the day. We Connor, yeah, he's getting more and more up to speed with the game. There are times still where Clarkson and Barron still are in the same area of the pitch when the manager wants one one side, one the other. But that'll come. They're both so keen to get onto the ball. You know, Leighton Clarkson... Maybe not as effective as some games, but he still scored a goal, had an assist. His corner um, indirectly led to Ramadani's goal. All in all, a good night uh, for the Dons without, as we've said, playing at mm. their best, which is a good sign for the future. Yep, overall, Dave, take the points, move on to Livy. Um, they were in action too on Friday night. They came the only, the, 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 other, the only other team since Celtic to leave Kilmarnock with all three points this season. Now, it's also the first time they've come from behind to win a game this campaign. At Pitodri, they had a man sent off and, and we were out of sight. But on their own park, where the surface sort of resembles that stuff in the window of the local fruit and veg shop, they're, they're a different animal. They're far harder to turn over. Plus, as you mentioned earlier, our waveform hasn't been great, to say the least, over the piece. So how do you see this one going? Let's do a score predictor. Livingston versus Aberdeen, Dave. It's, it's going to be very tough because they fight for their cause, in particular at home, and they, they'll be buoyed by the, the win at Kilmarnock. But I don't think there'll be many goals in it, but I think we'll sneak a 1-0. Certainly hope we will, anyway. I always, whenever whenever we play a team away from home, I always look, and in this instance, it's Bruce Anderson that's sort of glaring back at me, um, you know, <laughs> as, as a possible goal scorer. What do you think it's going to be, Andrew? Well, you just highlighted the man that Aberdeen have got to keep an eye on tonight. We, Bruce, he scored a 30-yarder. I've never seen Bruce score no. for more than six yards, I don't think, uh, other than penalties. In fact, I sent him a message and I said, I didn't know you could kick the ball that far. <laughs> and he said, comfortably the longest-range strike of my career. Um, so, you know, Bruce will be right up for this. Big Nubly up front is always a handful. But as Dave said, they've got a cause and they fight like mad for that cause. The one thing that's going to be a little bit different is Livingston tend to sit back and draw sides onto them. So Aberdeen might have to make the play in this game and we are better hitting on the break. So um, it's going to be an interesting tactical battle between Jim Goodwin and Davy Martindale. But um, Aberdeen have got a pretty decent record down at uh, Livingston. Um, there have been a lot of games where you've thought, you know what, we don't deserve the three points here, but we've come back up the road with three. So I'm going to go Livingston one, Aberdeen two. Yeah, I think I want one draw. Sorry. Then Dundee United at the weekend, this time Saturday night football with a, a six o'clock kickoff in the corresponding fixture at Tannadice. They couldn't buy a win going into that match. They ended up winning 4-0, which maybe hasn't acted as quite the uh, the jump start to the campaign as they thought it might. But it, will that be one in their, their heads when the team's beat at Pataudry? 
On the score predictor, Saturday evening for Aberdeen versus Dundee United. Dave? I think Aberdeen are going to get the revenge that they will be desperate for after that humiliation. And, you know, that's not too strong a word for that evening at Taranice not that long ago. So I'm going to go even one better. I think it's going to be Aberdeen going now and winning 5-0. I can't believe that you just picked the same scoreline that I was going to go for. <laughs> and I Andrew, can't believe that you two are both going as many as five. Good grief. What are you both drinking? Four, we scored four last week, Andrew, and we weren't playing our best. Oh, I know, I know we'll, we'll always score at least four. <laughs> you know, uh, but it's I, only I one like, more. Yeah, our home record is fantastic. There's no getting away from it. 21 goals in six games. Mm. But uh, United, they'll be hurting at the fact that, um, you know, they've dropped to the bottom of the table again. Obviously, we don't know how tonight or tomorrow night's game is going to go against Kilmarnock. But I don't foresee them being in a great place coming to Pataudry. I have to say, it's going to be interesting to see what the Saturday 6 o'clock attendance is like. Because that Friday 7.30 one... That was the biggest attendance of the season. Just 16, under 16K, 16 wasn't it? Yeah. Six, 16,500. A very successful fan zone over in the beach ballroom beforehand. Mm. And the noise that came out of the Red Shed was incredible all the way through. Not just the not just the Red Shed, Andrew. I mean, the other no, part all, of the South Stand led at yeah, one point. Yeah. And, you know, it, it was moving around the, the park. There, there, was, there was a really good atmosphere. So I hope that's replicated. And if it is, I can see Aberdeen winning. And just before we get away from last Friday... Got to give credit to Hibs for bringing a huge support up because they don't have a great record at Bedordry. They went away again listening to Aberdeen fans singing about, you know, Hibs have fallen apart again, <laughs> yeah. um, which, which they had done. But uh, the Saturday night six o'clock experiment against Dundee United, full-time score, I'll stick with our tried and tested 4-1. Right, okay, so David and I... <laughs> Standing at the precipice of a 5-0. Uh, on to Aberdeen women now, finding SWPL1 uh, a lot tougher this season compared to last, but they finally secured that elusive first win over Glasgow women in front of a Pataudry crowd, a result which, as we pointed out last week, could be so pivotal to the rest of the campaign. At the very least, it gives them a bit of breathing space between themselves and Glasgow women, who are the only team below them in the league. But the additional hope that result may boost confidence in the squad and act as a catalyst towards better form. The thing is, when you get that confidence-bolstering result, you want to get out there again straight away. And unfortunately, Don's women have to wait until November 20th when they face Motherwell. Next, the under-18s who know what it's like to be sitting about twiddling your thumbs and drumming your fingers, maybe not simultaneously, but they uh, they didn't manage to play their schedule match against Hearts at Orium last weekend because of a late cancellation. This weekend passed, though, brought them a stiff test as they prepared to square up against Hamilton Ackies at Cormac Park. Ackies, the last team to defeat the Dons back in August when we lost 6-2. That loss, although to a good Ackies team, was an out-of-character performance for Aberdeen's under-18s at the time, so this was a chance to make amends. Just a shame it was on Friday evening as the senior team finalised their preparations to face Hibs and Cove were setting up across town for their Friday evening game as well. In the end, in this one, for a top-of-the-table clash... You wouldn't know it. Aberdeen were 5-0 up at half-time. The game ended 6-0 and another hat-trick for Alfie Bavage. A good night to say the least, Andrew. Absolutely. I couldn't quite believe it when Mal Panton walked in and said, I came away at half-time from Cormac Park and it's 5-0. And I almost said to whom, but I could tell from the look in his face who it was for. He said they've been absolutely outstanding. And... 
speaking to others that were were there, they said best performance of the season, best 45 minutes that that team has put together. And we've said on numerous occasions, when they really click, mm. they are an absolute joy to behold. As you say, Alfie Bavage, another hat-trick, four hat-tricks in five games. And the one game that he didn't score, he's hat-trick, he scored two. <laughs> so that's him up to 19 goals in 10 games this season, which is astounding. Liam Harvey got one. Brendan Hamilton, the young Irish fullback, scored. I won't describe it fully the way Jim Warrender, the kit man, described it to me, but I did say to Brendan afterwards, I believe it was a mishit cross. And he said, uh, yes. Uh-huh. Um, he says, I was aiming for one of the boys at the back post, but I got my angles all wrong and it hit the back post and went in. So he was happy. And then Adam Emsley scored with a header in the second half to make it six. So um, terrific night for the young boys. Now, unfortunately, their next game, they're the free club this week, so they didn't have a fixture planned. The following week, they were supposed to play Motherwell, but that one has been called off uh, because there's some of the young lads are going to Atlanta with the first team uh, for the, okay. the winter training camp. Yeah. So our next game will be right at the end of November. It's a home tie against Queen's Park in the Youth Cup. So in future weeks, we'll let you know exactly what time that one kicks off. But um, they've got a little bit of a break now, um, which for some of them will be quite good because it's it's been a, a pretty hectic start to, to their professional careers. A lot of the boys are still just 16 in their first full seasons, but um, that was a fantastic result on Friday night. Into the championship and Cove Rangers, who uh, last time must have thought they got the monkey off their back and earned that away win as they cruised to a 4-1 lead away to Hamilton, but it ended 4-4. This weekend passed, uh, they too hosted Friday Night Football. Queen's Park, the visitors at Balmoral. Queen's one of three teams and 21 points going into this one, just three behind leaders, Air United. A big ask this one, but Cove rose to the occasion with a 2-0 win and a brace for Connor Scully, Dave. Yeah, seven for the season for Connor. And uh, two excellently taken goals. I mean, he's really reveling this season. As he said himself, it's his most enjoyable season at Cove. He's been there a, a long, long time. So, and of course, his testimonial coming up as well. So, no, they, they thoroughly deserved the win. They were better than, than Queen's Park in the night. And uh, Touchwood, Balmoral starting to become a bit of a fortress, a bit like Pitodri again. But again, as you touched on, John, the away form does need to improve and uh, you know once they get that they can really motor in this championship mm. because mm. make no mistake eighth is the objective just don't get drawn into playoffs at the end of the season and don't get relegated obviously so uh, you know there's after a shaky start they're starting to find a bit of form yeah it looks like they're finding their feet absolutely at Cove's next match Saturday 12th when they're on the road at Arbroath who've gone from well top to bottom of the table in a relatively short space of time but despite that they're still not exactly mugs never an easy game there they drew with Inverness at the weekend but Cove must be feeling they can finally go somewhere and claim that elusive away win at last Dave yeah uh, but it could easily be a team right at the top as Arbroath at the bottom because this championship is just so so even in terms of ability, other than Partick, who have lost their way big style and are in free fall at the moment, the rest of the teams are all capable of beating, literally beating any other team mm. in the division. So all these games are very, very tough. And our growth at Gayfield, all it needs is a bit of a wind and you've got the afternoon from hell, <laughs> as we've <laughs> yeah. been there in the past. And uh, they're still a, a good team and they're, they're 
I think they're in a false position at the bottom of the table. Let's hope they're still at the bottom of the table come Saturday evening. Peter Head next, uh, who we've spoken about in depth of, as they've plumbed them on certain occasions this season. But this weekend, they went into their clash against Montrose in the back of a confidence-boosting draw against second-top Edinburgh, hoping it could be the foundation of something to build upon. Sadly, it ended 3-0 for Montrose. Peter Head just aren't managing to kick on, are they, Andrew? They're not. Um, and for long periods of that game, it did look as though they were going to manage to, to kick on because they were holding a very good Montrose side at nil-nil. But then a couple of own goals and a 90th minute strike from Webster and it's 3-0 to Montrose. It looks on paper like an absolute hammering. And unfortunately, from conference point of view, I'm sure that's what it felt like for, for Peter Head. And it it's that drip, drip, drip of the mm. confidence being eroded away all the time that is the big problem. They desperately need to get another win. They've only had one all season, but they desperately need another win just to, to sort of lift the, the troops sort of thing, lift everybody about Balmore Stadium. Uh, but you're looking at their next fixtures, Airdrie away, Dunfermline currently top of the table at home, and then they go into the, the, the Cup and it's Queen's Park, albeit at Balmore Stadium. So that may be the, the wee catalyst. That Their only saving grace is that Clyde continue to drop points, um, mm. the same as, as they're doing. But Clyde have just appointed Jim, Jim Duffy, Duffy. Uh, yeah. as their, their new manager. So Jim's an experienced campaigner, almost as experienced as um, Jim McAnally. So it'll be interesting to see which of the two, the two of them will have played together um, in their younger days at Celtic. So they'll be great friends, I'm quite sure. It'll be interesting to see which of the two experienced Jims can manage to get any sort of tune out of their team over the, the coming weeks and months. Yeah, Peter Head's next match away to Airdrie. Now, for the Highland teams, back to a full scheduled card of league matches, but with the first real frost of the season this week, too, there is always the chance some of those may fail uh, and fall victim to the weather. Interesting games uh, to look out for as we headed into this weekend. Fifth v first, as for Martin United welcomed Bucky Jags. Seventh v fourth, as Forest Mechanics hosted Fraserburgh. And at the other end of the table, Banks today with an immediate chance to close the six point gap to three. Uh, with a victory over the team above them in the wake of that 12-point deduction as they travel to take on Strathspey Thistle, the full scorecard like this. For Martin United, one. Bucky Thistle, two. Forest Mechanics, one. Fraserborough, one. Huntley FC, one. Brewer Rangers, three. Inverurie Locos, two. Keith, nil. Nern County, two. Tariff United, one. Rothis, three. Lossiemouth, one. Strathbay Thistle, nil. Banks of D, seven. Wick Academy, two. Deverham Vale, one. And Brecon City, five. Clachnacudden, nil. And in the table, that means Bucky are on top on 37 points, having played a game more than Brecon, who goes second in goal difference. Brewer Rangers in third on 34 points. And current champs, Fraserburgh, fourth on 30. In the juniors, Dave. Yeah, it was a uh, North Street. Junior Regional Cup first round day on Saturday. Results as follows. Bankley St. Terran 2, Newmarket United 4, Buckinghaven Hearts 0, Isle of Ale 3, Burghead Thistle 2, Nairn St. Ninian 2, 4-3 to Burghead on penalty kicks. Cruden Bay 2, Fraserbury United 2, 5-4 to the Broch on pens. Devonside 1, Banks of D 3, Dice 4, Stonywood Parkville 2, Holders East End 2, Longside 1, Ellen United 0, Colony Park 2, Forest Thistle 1, Montrose Rosley 3, Hermes 4, Stonehaven 0, Lossmouth United 2, Aberdeen Uni 3, Maud 2, Bridget on Thistle 3, New Elgin 1, Cooter 8, 
and Sunnybank 3, Glen Tanner 1 in its cup action again this weekend with the first round of the Quest Engineering Cup. The Quest Engineering Cup. Quest Engineering. Oh, that sounds tragically short for uh, for most of the I know. Um, we'll, the, we'll get a couple of <laughs> words to add on. To it. Sure, you could get the full address and postal code into the name of the cup, surely. Yeah. <laughs> Disappointing. Um, golf and Aberdeen's Gemma Driver became only the fourth Scot to win an LPGA Tour event when she topped the leaderboard in the Japan Classic Golf Tournament on the weekend. You know her dad, don't you, Andrew? I knew her dad, John Dreibra, from uh, oh, about 30 plus years ago. He was an accountant at RMD in Aberdeen and I knew him through that. But yeah, fantastic victory for, for Gemma, finishing 20 under par, closing with back-to-back 65s to finish four shots clear of Kanan Agai from Japan. And in third place, Lynn Grant. And that victory moves Gemma Dreibra up to 41st in the race to the CME Globe, which is the CME Group Tour Championship is the end of season mega bucks tournament that gets played in Naples, Florida. $7 million prize wow. pot there. And, you know, that's the thing that the top 60 in the LPGA rankings are looking to get into. Okay. And so Gemma moved up from the, I think it was 76th to 41. And Lynn Grant moved from 78 up to 51 as she finished third. Mm-hmm. And of course, you've got a family uh, connection there with yeah. Lynn Grant. Well, I've um, said before, yeah. We have more than a little bit of Scottish ancestry elsewhere in the, on the tour. The LPGA European Tour leader, I think they pronounce it Lynn Grant. I don't know. She finished third, as you say. She continues to top the order of merit rankings in the race for Costa del Sol. Ahead of countrywomen Maya Stark and Johanna Gustafsson. And Lynn, I'm always proud to say, is my cousin. Yeah, so, I mean, it, uh, as to put that win into perspective, she's only the fourth Scot yeah. who's won on the LPGA Tour. Catherine Emery from Dundee was the first, Janice Moody from Glasgow the second, Katrina Matthew from North Berwick the third, and now we've got Gemma Dreiber from Aberdeen. So, you know, it's a a phenomenal win. And the best thing about Gemma Dreiber, she's a Don's fan. (laughs) And finally, another title for the uh, North East Paracyclist Neil Fahey this week, and that title is Dad. He and Laura welcomed their first kitty, a beautiful, healthy, bouncing baby boy they've named Fraser, despite my persistent lobbying for Lacky Facky, which would have been spectacular. Congratulations to all of them. That is pretty much it for episode 56 of Pitodri PS. We aim to publish every week on a Tuesday, if we can, always looking back to the Don's previous fixtures and ahead to the next. Please remember to follow us on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you could rate and review us, tell us what you think of the show too. We'd be very grateful. Thanks for checking out Pitodri PS. We'll see you next time.